Well, hello again, I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to another fascinating edition of The Painful Truth, where we bring the truth of Christ crucified that is revealed to us in the scriptures, and we shine that light on every aspect of our lives, on our lives and ministries, our lives at home or in church or in ministry or in the world. And in this week's edition, we're going to shine that light particularly on politics and the Christian citizen. This is something that I've been wanting to write about, think about for some time, and have thought for some time that really there was room for a quite significant, decent-length essay about this question, about how Christians ought to think about political authority and our involvement in the political structures of society, and what it means to be a Christian citizen. I very much doubt that this week's Painful Truth will answer all these questions or be that significant piece. Uh, it's far too short and brief a kind of genre to do that. But I'm hoping that it will be a step or two down that road. And even though we might not get all the way to the destination, at least I hope to edge your thinking a little bit further down the path on this interesting question. And it really comes up, and we've found ourselves at this point, kind of by accident because of the last two posts, the last two editions of The Painful Truth. It started back on April the 28th, when I had a little blast about the sin of opinion and why Expressing opinions, especially in the way that many people do today on social media and so on, can be really a quite foolish and even sinful thing to do. And then I did my best as a kind of follow-up to that last week to be more positive and lay some foundations about how to think about justice and society and judgment and political authority in the episode that I called Doing Justice that was last week on May the 5th. Now, I'll assume in what follows that you've heard those episodes, or if you haven't, might be a bad idea to pause at this point and go back and listen at least to last week's episode on doing justice, because it's kind of the foundation of what follows. Or you can zip over to the website, that's thepainfultruth.online, and read those articles over there. Uh, you may not realize this if you're new to this podcast, but every edition that comes out of The Painful Truth has an audio and a text version, and you can really just make your choice as to what you'd like to do to listen or to read. So I'll assume that you're up to date on those two pieces for what follows. Because given that the role of political authority is to make judgments, that's what I argued in last week's post, to do justice... What is our role in those judgments and with respect to that justice as citizens and as Christian citizens? If I can put it in terms of the metaphor I used last time, when a dispute does break out in aisle 12 and we find ourselves onlookers, in this case onlookers of our government's or political authorities' decisions, how and when should we get involved? What are our positive obligations and opportunities as Christian citizens? Well, a big topic, the place to start and the place where we'll make, I hope, some progress is in Romans 13. It addresses this very question, and it begins like this. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Now, the key idea in these quite well-known verses is conveyed 
in a little recurring Greek word that we don't sort of really see in English translation. It's the word tasso. And tasso means to bring an order to things, to arrange things, or to fix things in a certain pattern or relation to one another, to institute something that has a particular order. And that's the word that's used to talk about God instituting or tassoing the authorities. The authorities that he, that he has put in place have been appointed or instituted or established as part of the order or arrangement of things that God has established. He's established a political structure in which there is authority, in which judgment takes place, in which good is rewarded and wrongdoing is punished. We can think of this more broadly too, that God has created or instituted an order in this world in which there is right and wrong and good and evil, in which there is such a thing called justice and righteousness because of the existence of those standards of right and wrong and good and evil, and in which there are ordered structures within communities whereby justice can be done by the people God has appointed within those structures. God has tassoed all this in place, you might say, and in particular, the authorities who administer that justice. Uh, the ESV translates tasso as instituted uh, or established, says the NIV. And I'm not including all the prefixes and other bits and pieces that surround tasso. That's the root of the word, though, that, uh, that lies behind it. Now, that's interesting because our response in verse 1 is to sit under this structured authority. And the word there is hupotasso to submit under this, uh, this structure, to place ourselves under the structure that's been set in place. In this case, under the authorities that God has established. And the wrong response is to anti-tasso in verse 2, to fight against or resist the authority that God has organized and ranged and set in place. In other words, to obey or submit to political authority is not just knuckling under to the big guy who holds the sword. It's humbly understanding ourselves and our actions within a whole order or structure of righteousness and justice that God has established and arranged and put in place. Now, this raises a massive sidebar kind of question, which we could divert ourselves with for quite some time, regarding... I guess what is one of the foundational questions of all political theory, namely, who gives the state its authority? Is it seized by the strong or won by the noble? Is it granted by divine right? Or is authority given by the people? And if so, how exactly? In the absence of a God who creates the world and us, who creates standards of righteousness and ordered structures of justice and who delegates the authority to judge to human agents, these questions are very difficult to attack. It's difficult to anchor them in anything that's objective or discussable and very difficult to answer them. But as I said, this is a complicated sidebar that we'll just notice and leave for the moment. Our first response then, we should notice, is to submit, to, to sit ourselves under the political authority, uh, the structured, ordered authority that God has established. Now, it hardly needs saying that this doesn't sit well with us. We don't really like submitting to anyone or anything. And the internet sometimes gives us the illusion that we don't have to. 
We can click our way to some snippets of knowledge. We can argue back and forward with some intensity. We can then declare judgment on our leaders' policies or actions and think that we've done something significant. But as I've already said perhaps too many times in preceding editions, this online simulation of judgment and of doing justice, it's shallow, it's ineffective, and it's foolish. And it expresses a posture towards the political authorities, not so much of submission and of respect, but a posture of, of a kind of vacuous, superior independence that derides and dismisses them. And this is almost a national sport for us in the West, to sneer at our political leaders, to ridicule them, to sit in judgment of them, and to do all we can to avoid paying them tax, of course. All of which is the complete opposite of what Romans 13 urges and commands us to do as Christians. It tells us to hupo tasso, to sit under what God has established as authorities in our society, and to give to those in authority what is rightfully theirs, to give them taxes, revenue, respect, and honour, it says in verse 7 of Romans 13. Okay, you might say, fair enough, but do we not sit in judgment of our political rulers? Don't we elect them and then judge them and kick them out next time? Well, yes, that is true. We do, in our system, elect our representatives, but we elect them to represent us, to make judgments and to do justice on our behalf as a society. And submitting to this arrangement certainly means seeking to make good choices and to elect good people, or even possibly seeking to become a representative ourselves. But it also means that we should recognise that it is their job, our representative's job, to get on with the doing of justice and the making of judgments for us as a society, and we should honour and submit to them as they undertake this difficult and complicated task. And this leads, I guess, to a second obligation or response as Christian citizens in our particular context, and that's to seek to elect representatives whose character and actions make them at least more likely to be good judges. People who have the capacity, and I guess that's knowledge and wisdom and intellect, as well as the faithfulness and the judgment to be able to discern between right and wrong and good and evil, and to do justice, tempered with mercy, according to those standards. We tend to be very focused on and very impressed by policy, policy announcements, economic plans, grand schemes uh, that political parties promise in order to attract us at election time. In fact, as I'm recording this episode, I think at this very moment, uh, the Treasurer is delivering his budget speech for 2021 here in Australia. And these can be very significant things, policies and announcements and plans and budgets, especially insofar as they might promote injustice or wrongdoing or its opposite, rightness and goodness. But the fundamental thing we elect our political leaders to do is this ongoing task of making judgments, of perceiving what is right or good or wrong or evil in a particular circumstance and enacting laws and judgments accordingly. And I think we should therefore focus on electing people who are likely to be able to do that, who have the knowledge and character and ability to do that consistently 
especially in the unfolding, unpredictable flow of events and circumstances that is life in the real world. Now, the further implication of this is that we should seek to be informed, I guess, about our representatives, about their actions and their record, so as to make a wise assessment of their wisdom and character and to therefore elect good people. Now, this is very difficult. It's not made easy by the way our media functions and the way the political cycle works and the news cycle works, and it takes a little discernment of its own. In my experience, it usually involves surveying a range of different reporting uh, from both left-leaning and right-leaning sources, if I can put it that way, if we're to get a fuller picture, a more accurate picture of each person and their actions. That brings me to a third response. So the first response was to submit to the authorities, to political authorities. The second was to make wise choices about those we elect to that authority. The third response in Romans 13 goes beyond obeying the authorities and paying them what we owe. It calls us to keep paying the never-ending social debt of love for our neighbours. And it's a particular kind of love. It's a love of neighbour that is the fulfilment of all the law pointed forward to, and also a kind of love that sits under and looks forward to the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a love that is wide awake to its circumstance, to its situation, that we're living in these last days, the days of fulfilment, but the days nevertheless before Jesus returns, the days in which he reigns as Lord and Christ, but in which there is still plenty of darkness along with all the works of darkness. And I'm kind of paraphrasing verses 12 to 14 of Romans 13 as I say that. This is the context in which we're to love our neighbours and to function as loving, faithful agents of goodness and mercy and justice within our own particular spheres, within our own particular communities and among our neighbours. Now, it's hardly controversial to say this, that Christian citizens should be agents of love in our communities. After all, that's what Paul says really matters in, in Galatians 5, faith that is active in love. And there are countless ways that this can be expressed. But one particular and often neglected way, it seems to me, that Christians can love our neighbours in the political realm is to keep living and speaking as if Jesus really is the Lord and Christ of all, which, of course, he is. We often fail to do this, in my experience. We, we partition this off in the kind of private Christian church part of our lives, the fact that Jesus is Lord of all. And we don't preach it or proclaim it or speak on the basis of his lordship in our public and political interactions. We interact and talk and debate and participate as if this is a quiet, unspoken truth that we never mention. And this is our distinctive contribution, it seems to me. We're, we're no better or worse than anyone else, I think, in arguing about economic policy or debating how different courses of political action might turn out. The one truly extraordinary and loving thing we can do for our political authorities and for our political economy is to prophesy to keep reminding them that Jesus is the Lord and Christ, to whom they will answer, to whom we will answer, to keep directing them to his righteousness, his wisdom, his goodness as they make their judgments, to keep calling on them to serve him and his gospel in all their decisions and judgments. 
in this sense, I think public Christianity is the same as private Christianity. It's Christianity. It's proclaiming and living out the gospel of the crucified and risen Christ. And as we proclaim him and speak on the basis of his lordship of all, of course the authorities may not listen to us, or they may. But isn't that the way with all gospel preaching? They may regard us as weird or strange or even dangerous. It has been ever thus. But in God's power and kindness, as we pray for our rulers constantly and speak the word of the gospel constantly, they may listen and be changed by it. As Paul says elsewhere in 1 Timothy 2, they may indeed make judgments that enable people to live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Perhaps even in aisle 12. Well, as I said at the beginning, that by no means answers everything, but I hope it stimulates you to think further about the distinctive way gospel people like us can be gospel people in our political realm. And I don't think it's by hiding the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we should be upfront about it and keep speaking and proclaiming and commending him and his wisdom and goodness, his lordship and his future and imminent coming to everyone, not just privately or just to our neighbours or just in church, but in all our statements, public and private, including our participation in and contribution to the political life of our society. Well, let me know what you think. I hope this has been stimulating and perhaps you can fill out some of these points uh, and help all of us keep making progress in them. Uh, This is another of the freebie editions of The Painful Truth. I decided I'd make this one a freebie since it kind of completed the little mini-series that I started. Um, I hope you really enjoyed it. Uh, If you want to keep getting The Painful Truth every week and be part of the the community that does that, head over to thepainfultruth.online and subscribe there, and you'll receive every edition every week. Well, that's about it for this week. Again, thanks so much for being with me. I hope you found this stimulating and enjoyable. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.